2: Now more than ever, it's important to keep your family's garments free from bacteria. Fortunately, the Turbo Extreme Steam handheld steamer kills 99.9% of bacteria on face masks, shoes, coats, and any other garments they may wear when they venture outside the home. It's the most powerful handheld steamer with the turbo setting that quickly smooths away even the toughest of wrinkles. Works great on all kinds of clothes, delicates, shirts, you name it. Heats up fast and gives clothes that professionally pressed look in minutes. Try it and find out for yourself. Go to conair.com and search Turbo Extreme Steam. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host Manu Weff. And this week we will be discussing oh, the big game in the Russian Premier League. Zenit against Spartak, but there was lots of other drama as well. Then we're going to talk about Machizio. Yes, the man from Italy has joined Zenit. A transfer for Zenit after all. Lots to discuss here. Then we're heading over to the UEFA and the Europa League draws. Find out who the Russian teams and the other teams from the post soviet base in the Balkans are facing. And then finally, yeah, the UEFA Nations League. What is it? How does it work? We'll discuss it all on this podcast. And to discuss it all, I'm joined, as always, by the man from Siberia all the way across the world, Andrew Flint. How are you doing?
1: Hello, hello. Yeah, not too bad, thanks, man. Not too bad, thanks. Um, getting used to uh being back in Russia again. It's weird after... A month on the road and nearly a month in England, but, um, we're already a long way into the domestic season, aren't we? So we've got quite a lot of angles to cover today. So looking forward to this one. Yeah, we do have a lot
2: to cover, um, just in general on this podcast and in the Russian, Russian Premier League. I I have to say I finally figured out to say it right. Um, you know, it's the RPL, not the RFPL anymore. It took me about six match days to do it and I finally got it down and uh I'm quite happy about that. It's probably my biggest achievement today. Anyways, to to, to join us discuss this guy to discuss this. Is Tim. Um
0: Tim, beautiful morning here on the West Coast, isn't it? Yeah it is. Hello, 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 good morning. Um Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, there's lots of interesting topics to cover. Obviously, one of the biggest game of the Russian season, uh, happened last weekend. So there's lots of to talk about and let's do it.
2: Yeah, let's, let's do it. But before we talk about that big game, let's, let's take a quick look at the results, shall we? Um, on the, the results this week were, um, Rostov, Rubin, Kazan, 1-1, Krylia Sovetov, Samara, Anchi, machachkala 1-0. The pain continues for Anchi. Um, one win, five losses. Uh, not good CSKA Moscow against Ural uh, sorry Andrew but that was 4-0 uh, Krasnodar against Lok Moscow the return of Smolov then we have to chat about that 2-1 Genesai Krasnodar Arsenal Tula, 0-0 Dynamo Moscow Orenburg the surprise to the team lost 2-0 Zenit Spartak we'll, we'll chat about that in a moment Ahmed Krosny Ufa 2-1 Yes, before we we talk about the big one, I, I want to get a couple of the other matches out of the way, boys. Um, Krasnodar, Lokom Loko Moscow. Now, there's a lot lot of chat here about him, right? Because this was the return of Fedor Smolov to um, to Krasnodar, the club that basically made him.
1: Um, of course, Andrew will say that was... Wait, a wait, wait. Hold on I, I, a minute. Hold I, I, on. <laughs> let's, just, let's just get our facts straight. No, I'm just going to button in here, listeners, just to make sure it's absolutely clear. He was made, not in your Kattenberg like you think I'm going to say, in Tumen, where he played his greatest games for all out But anyway, um, continue, manny, continue.
2: <laughs> I was going to say by his mom and dad, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of morning. But yeah, um, Tim, tell us a little bit about this before we, we hand the floor to, to
0: Andrew. Yeah, obviously, in the very end of the transfer window, Fedor Smolov left uh, Krasnodar and he moved to, to Lokomotiv Moscow. His uh, motivation was to play in Champions League. That was his dream. And Lokomotiv, as the previous champions in Russia, they obviously will be playing in in Champions League. So that was his uh, motivation. Uh, that was his return back back to his previous club, to Krasnodar. He said that he was a little bit worried going back there because um he he was curious how the uh, the fans will um uh, greet him he got some some whistles from the fans uh, so that was an interesting to me that you know i thought he did a lot of good things for the club of krasnodar but he got some whistles so that's i don't know not sure how to treat that but overall um it was um, an interesting game in the end krasnodar won 2-1 with a very very last shot of the game uh, by a very young another young uh, Krasnodar player who who scored the final goal gore- goal so mm- you know, Krasnodar, they, they showed that they're a good team. Uh, like I said, in, in two weeks ago, they were better than Spartak. They outplayed us, and they deserved the victory that night. But we just got lucky, and we took the three points. This time, they played another good game, and uh, this time, they got three points. Uh, but Lokomotiv, again, this is another loss for, for the champions of Russia. I'll keep banging the drum that it will be a very tough season for them. In my opinion, I I I'm not surprised at all because I think this is how the season will go after the the champions uh, in, keeping Champions League in mind. Uh, but um, yeah, interesting result, uh, another good game, and um, good for Krasnodar, not so much for Lokomotiv.
2: Yeah, Andrew Shapi Suleimanov was the late game winning scorer of of this game. Indeed. Um, you yeah. mentioned before the pod quite a goal. Um, Shapi Suleimanov, I mean, Krasunda, we knew that they were going to go young. He's an 18 year old, um, right winger. Um, so, uh, talent is there. Ignatyev, of course, played up front. He didn't score at all, but still, I mean, um, there's, there's a lot of storylines there. Um, to mention that Smolov was, was booted uh, seems a little harsh. But at the same time, I (laughs) guess it's because a lot of people expected him to go abroad, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then moving to another another league club within the league. I mean, this I personally was surprised by this move. I get it that he wants to play Champions League, but if your if your ambitions are you always bang the drum saying I want to play abroad, I want to play for in a big league, and then you go to Lokomotiv, I can Mm -hmm. see why fans would be upset by that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, he was running out of options. And that really was the, it was the only club in Russia I actually thought realistically he was going to go to. Um, simply because of what they offered, like Tim said, it was his dream for Champions League football. I mean, let's just, just to take the backtrack just a brief moment. Think of a year, 18 months ago when Borussia Dortmund was sniffing around. West Ham made a very serious bid. Um, I think it was even earlier this year, in fact. Um, or maybe it was last summer as well. And they ended up spending nine million pounds on somebody you guys definitely have not heard of and um, called Jordan Huggle from mm. the championship in England. He's now left West Ham. Uh, and, and now that he's gone for even less than that to, to locomotive. Mm. And I agree with you, money. I can understand. I, I know what you mean about it seeming harsh from the outside of fans booing him because he did, he did a lot for the club. But I think the fans actually sense partly because of the youth team's success in recent years, particularly highlighted by that uh, Europa Youth League game against Real Madrid last season, when they packed out the stadium. The fans see this as what they really want to get behind. And this was the whole dream of Galitsky's in the first place. Mm. Um, personally, I think fans will come around fairly soon to Smolov leaving, simply because they they got to realise, look, this is a career. And you can't just turn up at a club and that is it. guarantee you just Tied to them for life, that would be a lack of ambition Smolov. And he has taken a minor step up, but in all honesty, I'd say in the next five, ten years, there's every chance Krasadar could overtake Loco anyway. Um, but yeah, so Krasadar um, looked, looked, I mean, reasonably reasonably solid. They're still yet to get into top gear, in my opinion. But uh, Suleimanov has scored, that's his, I think it's his third senior goal. Um, Already for the club. He scored last season and scored earlier this season as well, but he took his goal very well. It was the last minute of injury time, you know, a, low, a long, deep cross to the back post, absolutely nothing on. And his back was the goal. He took a good shot to control it, took it onto his left foot and, um, and just drilled it under Guillermo's legs, a nutmeg goal, uh, 94th minute. And he went absolutely wild. The crowd went mad. Mm. And this, this could be a more familiar sight. coming weeks which
2: is exciting well it's especially exciting for russian football right because i mean we all we're all waiting for the krasnodar dream to come true right tim that that team will produce young players not just for for krasnodar but also for the national team that's that's been the whole plan behind this club and
0: to become sort of a role model that other clubs will follow right yeah, the Krasnodar uh, and Spartak—they have the two best uh, academies in Russia, and they keep producing uh, young players, and it's obviously uh, great for the um, for the national team. Because in my opinion, the the the, the generation which we had, which played uh, the last World Cup, was probably the. The least uh, talented uh, generation and the reason for that is just because really those kids were young mm. when uh soviet union broke up and uh, russia started and i played in this in, in this time and i know how how disorganized and how really you know it was anarchy in in the youth sport there are two countries just really one country stopped and then the, the new began with slightly different rules and that definitely affected the 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 youth the youth the youth academies and I, so right now we live in this generation when uh are great great academies and great uh, just conditions and, and everything else for the young players to play so I'm really hoping on this generation which is coming up Sergei Galski is doing a massive job on developing those young talents and invest lots of money so really I'm 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 an opinion that the the World Cup in Russia should have been in about 15 to 20 years. Then we really could have challenged the the. But but yeah, what happened? What happened? But it's really exciting that you know that all those young players are happening. Also, Teska, how many great players they produced. So it's it's. I hope I really hope for this next generation because there's so far it looks like there's a lot of young and promising players. You know, this is of
2: course we didn't have this on the agenda today at all. And, uh, you just said something out of left field there, Tim, that I haven't really, and I should have th- probably thought about this a lot more, giving my, my background and my dissertation. But I can't believe I actually haven't thought about this because this is bang on. Look at the, look at the kids that played at this World Cup, right? Um, mm-hmm. They were all born. In the nineties, almost no one was born in the two thousands. And you're quite right. I mean, until 2004, 2005, 2006, Russian football was in complete disarray. It absolutely. was around that time that the, the oligarchs came in with lots of money. Um, yeah, cause some, you, you gave me a lot of ammunition to think about right here, because yeah, you're absolutely right. Because when you look at the nineties, the most clubs were just basically concerned with with getting the act together and financially survive. And I guess in certain extent that's still true, but we didn't have the the Spartaks, the CSKA's, the Zenit's, the Krasnodar's, and even the Lok Moscows investing tons of money in youth infrastructure. That really only started in maybe 2006, 2006, 2006 2007, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So that's actually something that no one has really chatted about, Um even going into the World Cup. And maybe something that, has been overlooked when it comes to in in general also when it comes to criticizing russian football that maybe that they basically lost the entire generation to to the
0: the changeover right yeah i'm i'm to me it's not even surprised because i was part of it and i remember how we played on asphalt grounds with very poor balls and uh, it was really like the quality was not there there was like i know that Our coaches were not getting paid because there was nobody to pay back in the Soviet uh, times. At least the coaches were getting paid. It wasn't a lot, but uh, there was some kind of system. There was no system at all. Like, it was really like, yeah, we lost uh, that whole generation, like my generation of uh, 85 to kind of 95. But all those kids who were born in those years, they even there was some talent, but like, really, like, we didn't really have much to. Um, you know, to know academies, know nothing. So even back in in, in, in these days, like top Moscow clubs, they they had the similar problems. They were playing and, in horrible conditions. So, yeah, so going back to Krasnodar, really like this, like, you know, we now have world-class academies and um, the talent in Russian football always was there. We are not Brazilians, but we always had players who were phenomenal. Lev Yashin, Alexander Mostavoy, Fedor Cherenkov, Nieto Throughout the history, we had world-class players, so potentially world-class players. But now those talents have, um, you know, um, academies to work on and being brought on. So that's exciting and good job, Krasnodar, for doing that, being leaders.
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's fascinating. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how how this really has a trickle down effect. This World Cup, of course, will have have a massive impact as well, right? And and you, you're quite right. When you look at the, through the, the history of the Soviet Union, there was always top players there. And I remember talking to one of my friends who I played with in the Netherlands. He was uh, from Belarus and he said, well, in, in Belarus, you either play professional or you don't play at all because mm-hmm. there, there was no grassroots football that com- got completely wiped out, um, in the nineties because all the small clubs went bankrupt. Yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, Definitely something we have to do a special on this, Tim. I, I already see it coming, you know, in one of the international <laughs> breaks. We'll have to talk about the, the changeover of the youth, international youth setup from um, the times of the Soviet Union to today, because I think that's a, a fascinating topic. Unfortunately, we have a lot of on our plates, so we won't have too much time to talk about it today, but we'll definitely will. We um, I want to talk about before we go to the, the top game, the really big match. Um the magic carpet as we talked said last week. Um Rostov played Ruben Kazan um and as I said it was one one. They're still on the top of the table, Andrew. They're third. Mm. They're just no one can can bounce them off that. Um in fact the results on this weekend mean yeah. that they're now three points ahead of Orenburg, who are four of their three points ahead of Krasnodar, and they're four points ahead of CSKA. I mean this is well, this is, this is exciting you, stuff. It,
1: it is. This this is this is exciting for me. Uh, it's almost almost as exciting, if not more so, than that fairy tale run. The fairy tale run was just that was just madness. That was brilliant madness. But this is a genuine hope that Rostov, after all of the problems they've had, failing to pay players for months on end in the last two years, more more than one occasion, they're now signing you know young. Players, they they've promoted, um, Dmitry Skopinsiev at left back. He's looking brilliant down the left flank. Um, and the fact that they might look sustainably successful at the top of the table is, is really promising. I was actually surprised that they failed to beat Rubin, uh, in this game because Rubin have not convinced me at all this season. Uh, Sada looks like his, his head's elsewhere. He, I think he wants to leave. Um, he doesn't look interested in my books. Um, and when you're leading strikers like that, it can influence the whole team. And Rostov just looked like such a well-drilled unit. Um, and to be to be fair, um, the I don't know if you guys saw the incident. It was on the on the line. I can't remember who shot it was actually from Rubin. but um, Skopin himself handled the ball behind the line. The goal was given, and it was just like millimeters over the line. And and then he booked Pinsett, which I thought was the most bizarre decision ever. Perhaps I misunderstood the rules, but once the ball has crossed the line and a goal has been given, the ball is dead. So if a guy handles it, how on earth can you can you penalise him for that? Um, anyway, just a little side note there. Um Of all their games so far, that was probably probably the shakiest they've looked. Um But not big goal scorers, as we know. They have that one big result against Yenisei. They've beaten 4-0 at home and I believe they've only scored one goal in every other game so far, possibly two at most, but they are looking good and I think it's it's brilliant. It's good to see a club start to just do things on the surface at least, in the right way. Um, Off the pitch is a slightly different matter, Um, perhaps still. Well, I say off the pitch, technically still on the pitch but um, uh, I'm sure you'll explain to the listeners about that, Manu.
2: <laughs> well, I want to first talk about uh, the fact that they signed half of Iceland's national team. <laughs> 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 I mean, they have, have four now. Víðar Örn uh, Kjartansson, Björn Sigurdsson, um, and then the defender Ragnar Sigurdsson, and Sveri Inger Ingersson. I, I promise these are four different wow. players.
0: Wow, that's bravo, man! When you started doing this, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" That's shaky. <laughs> Going for four Icelandic players in a
1: row—that's—that's that's a risky move, but bravo! Yeah, yeah I, I, I stay, Tim, I stay clear of these dissection. Yeah, 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 yeah me too. Time, just like you. <laughs> uh, you
2: have to remember, my my native tongue is German, so uh, nothing can, nothing really, <laughs> nothing really can take me. Um, there's there's not that many <laughs> languages out there that really scare me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of sons and, uh, they do sound, when you say them really quick, I'm pretty sure they all sound the same to anyone who's <laughs> not, uh, has the, doesn't have a German, Germanic or Scandinavian background. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, it's, there's a big influx of Icelandic players in general, right, Andrew? Um, this season hmm. there, I, ha- I have to count them again, but, I'm not going to attempt Excellent. to say all the names of the players that signed to Russia, but there's a there's a lot of them in Russia at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a very interesting angle to go. What I I found the general activity in the Russian transfer market fascinating the last four or five years. If you, th- I kind of mark it from when Hulk and Axel Bitzel and Danny either retired or were sold on. From that point onwards, it's been a very very different market. The money's gone. Angie's. Um, Suleiman Kerimov, of course, left with his crazy billions for Manji. And a lot of clubs have tried to either uncover teenage Africans and sell them on. And I know that sounds horribly sweeping and potentially offensive, and I don't mean it to be that way. But I know for a fact that um, at Oral Yucatenburg, we had um, Mohamed Konate, who I don't actually think I ever saw him play a minute for the first team. And I know he was bought specifically for Salon Bank and a lot of agents um, try and get in touch in in all sorts of strange ways to get even the slightest um, move. Now, it makes sense from a financial point of view. If you've got an unknown player, you can get him on the cheap, cheap value, and if you just double your money, that's probably worthwhile to do. You may get a good player out of it. Now, this whole influx of Scandinavian players, and like you mentioned, specifically Icelandic players, I think it's... It's not something I saw coming, but now that Rostov in particular, but also the Russian league has started to establish itself as a stepping stone to the bigger leagues within Europe. Because, you know, let's not beat around the bush. Russia is not the very top of the European leagues, but it's not far behind. And um, I think this is, this is something that the Russian league should exploit. You know, why not? If you can sign players for one million, two million instead of 10 or 15. Which is way out of budget of pretty much all Russian clubs now. Then, you know, it's, it's win-win all round. I'm looking forward to seeing how these, these new players do. Um, Hordor Magnussen at CSKA has got a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. Mm. as effectively the senior defender now at CSK. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's an exciting, exciting development and the curious angle.
2: Yeah. You mentioned agents. So uh, any agent listening, to this podcast right now, we're not a player agency. Stop emailing us. Um, just, mm-hmm. just wanted to make this clear. I do get emails on an almost daily basis by player agents trying to sell us players to Russia. and uh, this is not our job. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to make this clear. Um, <laughs> uh, we do not sell players. Maybe it's something um, that we should get into the football ground i player
1: agents. I, I just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump in there, man. If there are any agents still, still listening, um, there is a club that does desperately need any players of any ability. Please come to <laughs> for Siberia. She men desperately need you. And I'll set you up with a, uh, with a trial at the club. Okay. Email Andrew, not me. Um, <laughs> but
2: do, do wrap up this Rostov story. The, the average attendance, um, at Rostov had the season has been 30,206. That's a spectacular number. I mean, the, the numbers in the Russian Premier League have been phenomenal. Um, Period. But Tim, there has been a little bit of confusion on what will happen to the, the Rostov Arena because the club that, uh, they, no, sorry, the agency that runs the, the stadium set up a rap concert at the stadium without letting the city count, the city, the local government and the club know they found out via a poster that was posted on in the city an advertising poster. So, and then there was a very <laughs> shrill headline. Um, Saul Pope tweeted this out as well, saying that this might, that the next game might be the last home game for Rost of the season because if the pitch gets destroyed, that's it. Tim, thankfully, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that bad. <laughs>
0: Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your
2: favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cutcable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Set up an installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply.
0: It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a little bit got uh, blown a little bit uh, out of a proportion because, um, you know, for example, my club, Spartacly host, host, um, big concerts. Quite often. And that doesn't really affect. We didn't have to play anywhere in in any other stadium. So it just has to be done properly. Just to give a little bit of a background of this uh, rap singer Basta. He is one of the biggest, if not the the biggest uh, in terms of like popularity, in terms of just like pop value in in Russia. He's massive. And he is from Rostov. So obviously he it it kind of makes sense for him to play kind of homecoming show at the the new big arena, which was uh glorious during the the World cup. so I think from the you know just um show business perspective, it makes complete sense It just has to be done obviously properly and um for example uh Leonid Fidun uh, did an interview today, and he said that the way we do concerts at at Creti Arena they can cover the grass with a special um cover. <laughs> For three, four days. And that helps uh, to protect the grass uh, from the f- fans and also. Keeps the grass alive, uh, so you know the grass of, from three to four days uh, still gets enough oxygen. So you know, I think because it's just pr- looks like it's probably the big first event which hasn't been really disclosed to the club or to the government uh, by the company which owns the stadium and also owns the right to host uh, other events at the stadium. So it looks like it's just classic Russia when it wasn't really communicated properly and agreed on. But um, I think really making a drama that it might be the last game of the season for, for Rostov. I think it's a little bit out of proportion. Even uh, somebody from the club said that they a little bit got too 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 emotional. But yeah, obviously that might affect uh, the stadium grass and they might have to play a game or two at the old stadium, Olymp 2. But I hope, I hope they will be back at uh, Rostov uh, uh, Arena as soon as possible because definitely that has been a big uh, part of their success this season. When you have 30,000 people, uh, you know, going for you, it's, it's especially in Russia because when the, the players are not spoiled with that, those attendances, it gives a massive boost. So I hope, I hope, I hope they will be back to Rostov Arena as soon as possible.
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, the, we have, we have been raving about the attendance numbers because the attendance numbers have been spectacular um, in, in Rostov and elsewhere. Um, we're, we're going to talk about one game in particular that's, uh, um, a huge crowd, right? The, the match of the week. But yeah, and so that this, this basically, um, got me thinking, what is the average attendance in comparison to other leagues? And of course, at the very top, um, is not the best league in the world. Andrew, uh, it's the Bundesliga 44,491 <laughs> is the average attendance in the Bundesliga. It's ah, then, Bundesliga
1: is not the best. Yes, sorry, yes,
2: No, no. The best league in the world is uh, only has an average. <laughs> Bundesliga 2, right? Is, it has an average <laughs> attendance of twenty-seven thousand seven hundred fifty-nine, and that's La Liga. And it's uh, in between that is uh, some some league from Britain. Now I'm kidding. It's the EPL, of course, the second with thirty-seven thousand three hundred seventy. <laughs> um, then of course you have the Serie R um, with twenty-four thousand eight hundred seventy-four, and then League R with twenty-four thousand one hundred ninety-one. Now of course. Saul, who, who tweeted this, um, he said, that, well, the Premier League was is following those leagues right, right, um, in terms of the biggest attendance among first divisions in Europe. He left out MLS, which has an average attendance of 20,710. But the Premier League, the Russian Premier League is right behind MLS. I mean, the gap is only a thousand, about a thousand per game. Um, Premier, Russian Premier League is now 19,879 which is a significant increase from last year. Last year, it was around 13,000, which means it has jumped um, past the Eredivisie and uh, the Portuguese Liga, Liga Nos. So those are really exciting numbers, Andrew. I mean, if they can keep this mm. up and even grow, I mean, yes, um they're behind Major League Soccer, but you have to keep in mind Major League Soccer is, they have a few big facilities like in Seattle and Atlanta United that have been absolutely Booming, right? Mm. Um So it's not necessarily a bad thing to be behind this league, and it's it's definitely okay to be behind be behind the Bundesliga, EPL, La Liga, and Serie A, and even League R because those are the top leagues in Europe. So it's it's being sandwiched nicely in in a very good place, and probably in a place where it should be, considering where it used to be, right,
1: Andrew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. And I will admit, I was cynical. At the beginning, well, in the summer after the World Cup, I thought, yeah, sure, we'll have two or three match days with high attendances, and then they'll slowly slope off towards around you know 14,000. But I've been proven wrong, and I'm delighted to be so as well. Um, it's it, it's a funny one, really, because if you think about the reason why, it's almost exclusively, if not entirely exclusively, because of the new stadium. Now, I find that kind of odd because. Do you really go to a stadium just to look at a stadium? I know it affects the comfort of the, you know, we've talked about the old Soviet bowls that were very unwelcoming, open to the elements. And yes, okay, when the weather's bad, I understand that. But is it really enough alone to boost, you know, I mean, effectively 80% increase on attendance. It's, it seems seems extraordinary to me. And um, But, you know, I don't care. I don't care why. As long as I'm, a lot of people are coming through the gates, this is a good thing. And, you know, if, if success stories like Krasadar's in the long, long run, developing that, not just getting people into an amazing facility and the, the, the Coliseum, if you like, of Krasadar Stadium is absolutely spectacular. Um, but if you combine that with good youth development, I mean, it is a seriously, seriously potentially exciting next five, 10, 15 years for Russian football. So, um, I think these numbers look like they will, they will, they will hold strong, and everybody, I guess, hopes they will.
2: Yeah, I, I think what I find really fascinating by this, I mean, everyone before the World Cup said this would, that the Russia would be a disaster. Um, we even were worried a little bit about white elephants, right? Um, going mostly about what happened in Brazil mm. and in South Africa, right? Now, in Brazil, of course, one of the big problems has been the, the upkeep of the stadiums post-World Cup. Also, the fact that they build stadiums into cities where they don't really care that much about football or don't have football teams. I mean, you can argue that happened in Russia as well, but um, I guess even Saransk has been has been booming. And I think it's probably because they, unlike Brazil, um, Russia's middle class is a lot bigger, so people can actually afford going to games. Um, the same is, of course, true to South Africa, I mean these countries often get compared as being in the same kind of bracket, right? The BRIC states. But I think um when when you look at the BRIC states individually, Russia stands out um ahead of South Africa and Brazil because yes, there is they, they're not on the level of Western Europe's in terms of um the wage, right? But they have a much larger middle class in Russia than they have in South Africa and in Brazil. And the the, the gap between the rich and the poor is not as extraordinary as it is in, in South Africa and in Brazil. So more people can afford going to the Games post-World Cup. So I think that's one of the reasons why there is more of a post-World Cup boom, even though Russia is not maybe historically as big of a football nation as Brazil. The impact of the stadiums has been a much more positive than it has been the case in Brazil, because yes, there is money there to spend. And despite the economic sanctions on Russia, Russia's economy is actually growing. Which is, um, extraordinary itself. So people have money to spend. Um, I think that that's really one of the, the big differences between the, um, between what's going on in Russia and the other brick states. And that's, I think, why the post-World Cup has been more successful in Russia. I mean, in South Africa, there was no, no feedback on the, the stadiums. Um, it right away went from World Cup to White Elephant. And in Brazil, there was the same thing. I mean, even, even the Maracana was in disrepair for some time. So, I think it's really fascinating how the Russia, it shows where Russia is, I guess, in terms of development um as a brick country in comparison to the other two previous brick countries. And I, and I guess this is, will be also a topic that's got, probably going to be another special for us boys um, during the winter break when we're really going to have the numbers in fall almost, right? Because 2 And when we go for winter. Yeah, when we go to the winter and two-thirds of the Russian league have been played. But I, I don't really think that the numbers will go down um, because you will add, European football, there will be still big games to be played. And I think the stadiums, the stadiums are just more comfortable even in the winter, right? So I, I think, yes, you're right, Tim. We'll wait for the winter, but I think we, the, the, the storyline will continue this way. Um, especially because, I mean, the big games sell out and that's really what I want to transition to now. And good that you actually uh, started talking, Tim, because I'm going to you right away because 61,467 spectators watched Senate against Spartak. Senate have averaged 51,000 um, all the season, which is really good compared when you compare it to last year where they um, played some of the games in a new arena. Um, but yeah, 60, 60, um, 60 plus thousand for a game like that. I mean, we expect that. And uh, Senate, of course, will probably get this attendance from here on all the way to the end because they can close their roof, right? That stadium is very comfortable. It's one of the greatest stadiums I ever covered a game in. Um, I really, I really love going to the Kristofsky, but this, this was spectacular. I mean, when you haven't, haven't been online yet to check out some of the TIFO on display, um, yeah. ahead of this game. And Tim, this is a big game in Russia, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is, uh, well, the uh, fans call it the biggest game of their season. Uh, for Spartak fans, it's still this game against this guy is the number one derby, but this this one is, uh, number two. It's, um, Big game and... Um also, given really like the the relationship between Spartak, Zenit, and Teca are pretty very rivally, so obviously that adds a little bit more fire to the game. Um, the game ended as a zero zero, and uh, if you are as a neutral, that was probably a fairly boring game to uh, to watch. I watched it with my friend who supports Zenit, and we we've been i 've been just tensed for the whole ninety minutes because maybe it was not the the most beautiful game, but the energy and the tense the level of tenseness, it was just unbelievable. It was a uh, very, very uh, interesting game. Uh, Massimo Carrera absolutely blown even uh, everyone away, and uh, me especially, because I, I didn't expect that lineup at all. He put on uh, as a right-back Nikolai Raskazov, who is a youngster. Another player on the right was Uh, Lomavitsky, both players, um, uh, very, very young. He put in Pedro Rocha instead of promise, and he played Milgarejo, again, as as a left-back, and we need to remember that our goalie, Maximienko is also very young. So it was a very unexperienced uh, side to play away in one of the biggest uh, games of the season. For example, you know, he had Yeschenko on the bench, he had Kambarov on the bench, uh, Evelyn Popov players who had experience of playing in those games, but really, uh, Massimo Carrera made this choice. His comment was really, you don't see Blomavitsky and Raskazov playing, um, in, um, at, at the training. I felt like they were ready. And to be quite honest, they both did very well. Both young players did very, very well. And, um, they contributed to, you know, to what they did their job. And that was, it was, they did a good job. So it was very interesting what Massimo Carrera did, his decisions. but in the end, I think he was right. Uh, the biggest um, letdown was that the new Spartak, like I'm obviously t- talking from the Spartak point of view, uh, that our new defender, Samuel Jigot, who came, uh, a Frenchman who came from uh, Belgium, he got a serious injury. His ACL is done, and he will be out for the next six months. And uh, in the first uh, six games of the season, Spartak only let in one goal, that free goal from you know from the other half, half of the field. The rest of the games, we didn't let any goals in, and that was the big role of Samuel Chigoa, who really joined the team and he became the leader of defense, a new player, and he became the leader and he scored the goal. He was very dangerous uh, in the other half. Um, at the um, set pieces but uh, the most importantly he really is the leader or was at this point of the leader of the defense right now and also the um, Kutepov who hasn't played a game after the World Cup he got a new I- injury as well and he's out also for two months mm-hmm. so Spartak found him themselves only with two defenders uh, Salvatore Bacchetti and Georgi Gicke those are only two players who are left uh, with any kind of experience playing in the Russian Premier League. So it's a, it's a very interesting situation right so now. Spartak is looking for, um, for um, um free agent, which can be purchased uh, right now, I believe, in the next couple of weeks, they can still add somebody. Uh, they're talking about an Uruguayan player called Palenta, who yeah. I know nothing about. And there are some weird rumors even about John Terry uh, potentially joining Spartak, which is I found Please. absolutely ridiculous. Please. Yeah, but just for our English listeners, that's what people are talking about. So the game ended in zero zero. Um, before the game, I said that I will be happy with any result if Spartak doesn't lose, because if they if we would have lost. And the difference in points would have been five, five points, which is a little bit too much. Right now we have two-point difference, and I feel com- com- absolutely comfortable with that as a fan. And um, yeah, so that was my a little bit of review of this game.
2: Andrew, I have two questions. Is John Terry going to join Spartak?
1: <laughs> oh, oh, God, I hope so. I hope so from the bottom of my heart. I really do. Um, no, is the answer, unfortunately. Um, but I could well look stupid, but no, he Um The guy is a magnet for idiocy, for controversy. Um, I wouldn't trust him as far as anybody could throw him. So, honestly, Tim, for your sakes, I hope he doesn't join. Just purely... <laughs> The, for the acid neutral, from my point of view, I want to see him just because it would be it would be funny, it would be just entertaining to see him in Russia. Um, uh, he he played at a reasonable level last season in the second tier in, in the championship, but um, is you know, he out of contract? Why is he considered? He's he was released by Aston Villa. Really? Um, well, basically, Naturally. Aston Villa, <laughs> Aston Villa um, they have a Chinese Chinese owner who um, paid ridiculous salaries and a lot of money, and all banked on them. Aston Villa getting promoted, they didn't. Mm. So, they've had to sell, well, I say sell, they've had to release one or two of their higher earners. John Terry was the highest of you So, um Technically, Tim, it's an attractive option, because he's played in Moscow, and he lost in the Champions League final <laughs> to the greatest team of the year. Um, <laughs> he's a free agent, so he's available. He does have experience. He's not completely terrible at football, so, you know, you never know. Uh,
2: but no, bottom line is no. He's going to join. <laughs> we'll have a title for our podcast. That's at least something. Um, will, my, will John Terry join Spartak? Um, wow! I know. Not not
1: to,
0: I
2: can hear. Not to, I just, I just want to categorize this as an Instagram rumor, just to to give you an idea how rightly this is. So um, exactly, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's
2: that's, <laughs> that's uh, um, yes. But someone who hasn't, uh, Andrew, I'm going to stay with you because. Um, you know football neutrality and all that I can't really go to terms with this uh, Claudio Marchisio has signed for Zenit um yeah. yeah that's quite a signing of course uh, 2 days after Saul Pope wrote um an article outlining that um, Semak was very unhappy with no signings this summer and then, of course Zenit uh, signed a free agent uh, Marchisio Claudio Marchisio a uh, very emotional goodbye to Juventus right right after they signed uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and then, um, he popped up at Zenit. That's not something that we expected. Although there has been a lot of Italians playing at Zenit in the past. And, um, I guess in Matthias Granovic that they have an actual Italian as well. He has a dual citizenship. This, this is a fascinating signing. I would put it down as that. Um, it's for me mm. personally, anyways, but what, what do you make of this?
1: Well, I, I agree with you. I think it is fascinating. I think a lot of people probably assume that once... I mean, Marquis has been at Juventus for, I think since he's been a teenager or even younger than that. Mm. Um, but once it became clear that he wasn't going to play, obviously he wasn't going to move to another club in Italy. And I think most people assumed it would probably be MLS or China. It seems to be the go-to league for someone who still wants to play, wants to earn money, but doesn't want to infringe on playing for a rival. Um, and I thought the days of Zunit signing players of his experience and stature were gone, but clearly we're wrong. Um, I know that Dominico Crescito did have a very strong part in persuading him to join, and so agent Crescito, he left uh, left Zanit with a parting gift, you might say. Um, and just one thing I would say about it though: Semak, as as Saul Pope was writing, was was disappointed at the lack of transfer activity. I'm not entirely sure why, because I generally don't think they need to sign anybody. And if we're being brutally honest, I don't really think they need, deep down, need Marquisio. They have enough in their squad to cover, uh, central midfield options. And um, Paredes, as long as he stays, of course, is, is the obvious. Uh, quality in midfield. Cranvita will do a lot of the dirty work because Zayev can be a box to box midfielder. Even Hadani has started to play a little bit. Um, he's still not a world beater, but he's still a squad member. Um, so he'll certainly add quality and it's just that one extra step. It's almost a luxury signing in my view. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you can sign him, if you can afford to pay his salary, you know, why not bring an extra star quality? Um, player into the squad. Uh, but if I'm being brutally honest, I don't actually think we need it. Hmm.
2: Interesting assessment. Well, they are dancing on three weddings, as we say in Germany. Um, they're playing in the, the, the Russian Premier League, of course, and the, um, the cup and the Europa League. And that's really where I want to take this next. And, um, the, the draw, the Europa League Champions League draw was, um, last week um concluding the the playoffs of course. And I, I wanna just go quickfire through through these groups real quick, the the teams that we cover on the Football Grad Network. And let's start with Zenit's group, um Andrew, um since you've been just chatting about Zenit anyways. They got Bordeaux, Copenhagen, Slavia, Prague. Now on the surface, that's an easy group isn't it, for Zenit.
1: Well yeah, I mean it really should be. Um I know that uh Copenhagen uh well, that are basically the wealthiest club in Denmark by some distance, but then again, without being rude to a lot of my friends and colleagues who are from Denmark, it's not a huge sign, really. Um, Slavia Prague, they have played Russian clubs in in recent years in Europa League and had mixed success, some good, some bad. Bordeaux will be the danger team, um, but I, I don't know, he should be able to should be able to go through that without too much trouble, I would think. Yeah, I would
2: go along with that. The next group is uh, Dinamo Zagreb, uh, Anderlecht, Fenerbahce, Sparta Trnava. Um Spartak Trnava, remember? Yeah, again, we we'll get them again. Um I think this is a good group for Dinamo Zagreb to be honest. I think that they of course Anderlecht and Fenerbahce um are at very very strong sides and I think that they but they think that Dinamo Zagreb um losing out on on Champions League football. Um this is this is a good replacement for it. Um, then next, of course, we have Karabakh, um, our friends from Azerbaijan, Voskla, uh, team from Ukraine, first time in the UEFA, uh, Europa League group stage. Um, they're playing Arsenal and Sporting. So, um, that's really attractive, um, group for, for those two teams. And we're going to, of course, cover them. We're going to, um, have someone in, in London to, to cover those games for us as well. So I'm uh, really, really looking forward to that. Um, Tim, Spartak Moscow got Rangers, Rapid Vienna, and Villa Real. That's not, that's not an easy group, is it?
0: No, it's not. I'm actually a bit, a bit worried about this group because Rangers. You know, we, I watched the highlights from their game against, um, Ufa, um, playing in Scotland is not, is not easy. Uh, Villarreal is a top Spanish side and, uh, to be honest, no, I don't know much about Rapid Vienna, but teams from Austria, uh, also that's, that's a decent league. So I don't think we got very lucky with this. I'm slightly worried about this draw. But again, it's, it's, it's good, good, good opponents, uh, some good games.
2: Yeah, and then uh, next we have Krasunda playing Achiza from Turkey. I don't know very much about them, sorry my Turkish friends. Sevilla and Standard Leash. Uh Andrew, that's not an easy group either.
1: Well, no, abs- absolutely not. Sevilla are vastly experienced and um they they they've they've won this tournament three times in the last, was it four or five years, I think it is. Um so yeah, that's that's not gonna be that's not gonna be easy. I think Krasdar would be would do well to get a point out of the two games in Sevilla. Um I Quincy I Promise. Say, ah, of course, Quincy Promise. Sorry, that was a very obvious headline. Yes. Well Quincy Promise will certainly be I would imagine targeted, um certainly by either the fans or the players or both. <laughs> but, um but they I still think should be setting their sights on getting out of the group. I think that would be for this stage where they're still bringing, they're bringing through some of the young guys like Ignatiev and Suleimanov that you mentioned, um, and, uh, Kristen Kueva is yet to really settle in yet. You know, there's still there's a bit of movement going on at the club. If they can get out of the group, I'd say that's a success for them. I say on balance, they probably should do, but again, it's, it's not going to be straightforward. And a lot, a lot of quite a large traveling distances for the as well, then.
2: Mm. Yeah. And then uh, next we have Dynamo Kiev and Astana playing with Japlonek and the Renz. Speaking of travel, um, every group involving Astana involves a lot of travel. <laughs> uh, um, we've talked many times about this. I mean, Astana, the distances to there and back in the time differences. I guess it really only affects uh, Renz a lot, uh, the, the Czech side. Um, yeah, it's, I guess it's always a long flight. It's a five-hour flight from almost anywhere in Europe. So, yeah, um, lots of travel there. Um, then our Bate, Pauk, Chelsea, Vida, Vidi from Hungary, uh, FCVD or Mole Vidi, whatever you want to call them. They used to be called Videotone. That's how I remember them. Um, Bate and Pauk, good draw for them. They both get to go to, um, to Chelsea. I guess, uh, Savidis can hang out with his buddy Roman Abramovich. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see that. Uh, he's still not allowed into Greek stadiums. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he can check his gun at Stanford Bridge before he enters the, the, the VIP box. So, yeah, that's, that will be an interesting one. And then we had to the Champions League group C. Um, Red Star Belgrade. I wow, what a group they got. Um, first time into the Champions League group stage. Of course, they played, uh, in the European cup group stage before it became the Champions League. I noticed the same competitions, different names. So just to clarify that. Um, they got Liverpool, Napoli, PSC. Wow, oh, what a way to come back. Um Group D, Tim, Lokomotiv, Galatasaray, Porto, Schalke. That's a
0: very even
2: group, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's the, they got lucky. They didn't. Uh, well, Lokomotiv was in the group uh, in the first. Uh, how you call it? In the first um, group of teams, and so they didn't get any top team, top like top top teams. But they got a very even draw. Not easy because playing away in Turkey, uh, you know, champion Porto is always a tough team to play. Schalke is always, you know, second team, second place in Germany.
2: Doppelhaus derby. Oh yeah,
0: on. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what people been saying. Yeah, that Haridas, mm-hmm. he's. Uh, little bit injured, what a big surprise right now. But his goal is to really recover for and play against Schalke. I think it will be a very emotional game for him and exciting. Uh, but yeah, hopefully he will be fit to play that game. Yeah, Herbert is Derby, that's massive.
2: Yeah, and then uh, the next group that we're looking at is Ike uh, against Bayern, Ajax and Benfica. Um I think Bayern will probably walk this group. And then uh, the Greeks yeah. have, have a good chance, I think, maybe to, to compete with Ajax and Benfica for for second place third place definitely a chance um group F Hoffenheim City Lyon Shakhtar Donetsk Donetsk against City again remember last year Shakhtar Donetsk <laughs> had a very yeah. difficult mm-hmm. group and they finished second in that group um so um people in Germany look out Hoffenheim not an easy draw for them Olympic Lyon of course a very good side as well um this is this is a, this is a really fascinating group I'm really curious to see um Coaches like Pep Guardiola, Nagelsmann, and Fonseca go at each other. A lot of very good coaches in in this group. Um, Andrew, CSKA Moscow, Roma, Pilsen, Real Madrid. Oh, third Whoa. place is. I think they will have to battle with Pilsen for third place. Um, Roma and Real Madrid, two massive sides, right? Andrew.
1: Yeah, no problem for CSKA. They they haven't got Bustovic at the Bernabeu, so. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. Of course, it's going to be. It's a battle for third place, like you say. I think third place would be probably for the best, really, because mm-hmm. with CSKA's young developing side, the Europa League would be a good, it'd be a good test out their of yeah. their development so far. And I don't expect them to get that far in the Europa League either. But again, it's not something they need to be worried about. If, in a way, you could look at this European season for TSK as a kind of a free pass. You know, if you do anything, it's a bonus because we know this is a team in transition. But look, in that sense, it's brilliant that they have got two huge names. Roma getting to the semi final last year and Real Madrid, who I think they may have been involved in the European Cup once or twice before. I'm not sure, but, um, hmm. you know, have, having those two massive names coming to Moscow, um, they may actually be playing at the Luzhniki, they've said today. And if Luzhniki is I would imagine, would we'll be full for the Real Madrid game at least. 80,000 people. Hey, you never know. You never know. Stranger things have happened. But um, I don't think they're going to happen this season. But that's the that's the beauty. We we never know.
2: No Cristiano Ronaldo. So who knows? Um, yeah, that covers that. We'll, we'll probably talk about these games in more detail when we get a little bit closer. But I wanted to wrap up that draw. Um, speaking of UEFA competitions, there's another UEFA competition that kicks off. On Thursday, um, the big headline game, of course, is Germany against France. The, the world, the, the current world champion against the previous world champion, um, in the UEFA Nations League. No, a lot of people have been saying these are glorified friendlies. After spending all last night studying this competition, because that's how long it took, <laughs> um, I have a second PhD now in UEFA Nations League. Um, I'm Dr. Dr. Manuel Weff as of last night, because, um, it is quite easy to understand. It's not that easy to explain because the, it's, it's, it's a league. Um, so let me just real quick break this down. So in the top division, league R, teams will compete to become the UEFA Nations League champion. The four group winners of League A will qualify for the Nations League Finals in June 2019, so next June, not right away. They play the entire group stage this this year, and then next year they will play uh, the Knockouts. They will be consisting of a semi-finals and a third place. Yes, they're playing a third place. No one knows why, but I guess um, you have to have games, right? The semi-final pairings along with the administrative home teams for third place of finals are determined by means of draw we uh, get that draw in December. So now this is this is the kicker. This is all tied in with Euro twenty twenty five qualifying. So that there will be a separate qualification process which starts in March, right? Um ten groups, the first two go straight to Euros, that will leave four spots open. Now you would think those four spots will go to the four group winners of League R, of the first league. That's not how it works though because they have four leagues, four divisions, and the, the four winners of the four divisions, so the winners of League B, League C, and League D, uh, even though they're lower teams, can also all qualify by winning their respective playoffs in their respective leagues next June. So, um, I think I sort of, Broke this down <laughs> in, in a comprehensive way. <laughs> uh, it all makes sense uh, and in some ways. Um, the one criticism has been, of course, that it means that the lower division teams, and uh, we, we're talking, let's, let's, look, let's take a look at the, the league D. Because yeah, this, this, this is, yeah. this is, this is, sorry, Tim, this is something that, that affects us, right? Because we have a lot of teams from the post Soviet space in this. Um, yeah. And, uh, so, so teams like Georgia, Belarus, uh, Latvia, Azerbaijan, um, Moldova, Moldova Armenia—they can all qualify by winning essentially League D. Um,
1: so this is so pretty this much
0: is, the winner from League D is qualifies automatically.
1: Yeah, Fosh. Yeah, uh, you know what, guys, I I think it's fantastic. I absolutely love it because you know you can't you can't just permanently play competitive football of the highest level of importance. You can't have, you know, qualifiers permanently. But this is, I think it strikes a nice balance because some countries might look at these games and think, you know, we're not going to target this, sub roots qualification, we'll use this as a friendly, but we'll use the regular qualification groups as the, the serious games. Other countries, like the countries you mentioned, but the the group D, um, lead D, sorry, teams uh countries they that's going to be absolutely fantastic for them and i think that's the whole point of a euros of a of a world cup of a international tournament it's not about getting right who are the 16 the 24 the 32 highest ranked teams play them together that would be dull that would be rubbish and it's not representative of the continent that would just be an old boys club this way we're going to see realistically um well, we could see somebody make their first appearance in an international tournament, and that's going to help development. I think it, I think it's brilliant. I really, yeah, I really it. Yeah.
2: I mean, for the Caucasus nations in particular that have a hard yeah. time qualifying, right? I mean, and, uh, forgot Kazakhstan, of course. Um, some of these countries, if you basically do not finish in the top two of your qualification group, this is a realistic shot. But I mean, this, this also includes, um, all the other leagues. Um, I mean, Russia and Ukraine, two of the teams that we cover um, quite extensively, they're playing in uh, League B, right? Um, mm-hmm. Let me just look at the groups real quick. So we have Ukraine placed in a group of Slovakia in the in Czech Republic, and then Russia is in a group of Sweden and Turkey. Um, the preview for the the Turkey match will be out probably by the time this podcast is out. Andrew is taking care of that. Mm. But um yeah, yeah a legitimate shot. I mean, if the qualification doesn't go well, if you finish third, um I think both Ukraine and Russia have a good chance um of winning their respective groups and going into the playoffs. That gives you another chance of qualifying for the Euros. So this is a really good shot for either of those countries to qualify for Euro 2020, right, Tim?
0: absolutely yeah that's uh, and i'm looking at the teams which uh, russia can potentially face all those teams are you know it's it's not like we're going to be playing spain even we won them uh, at the world cup or germany but uh it's it's doable it is doable and um, i'm actually very excited and i'm i I like this idea because those friendly were really given not that much Mm -hmm. uh that's addition of some kind of competition even it might be harder for example stanislav chesov he i think he had a funny line he said this The new official tournament starts. Uh, I didn't spend any time uh, to my players explaining how Nation League's wo- League works, but it's an official tournament and we, and we have to win every single game. That's, that's the only thing they need to know. They don't need to know which group one plays with group B and how they qualify. He says, we need to win every single game. We need to win our group and then we need to win the, the semifinal and the final and that's the goal. <laughs> he says, So I didn't spend any time explaining to them. We just, we really want to qualify for this. And he says, it's an official tournament for us where well, we're ready. Like we, we, we're very, very excited about this. So I'm, I think that's, that's great. Well, maybe
2: to also point out
0: the, this doesn't actually add any games
2: to the, the calendar. Um, because what UEFA's yeah. has basically done, they've taken out the friendlies, right? They use the, the friendly team, the friendly game spots. And said and there's no more friendlies. Well, there is um if you have a buy in your group, because it's groups of a lot of teams have uh three teams in the group. So if you have a buy, then you can arrange a friendly. So Germany, for example, they play France, then they have a buy um um next week, early next week, so they're playing Peru in an international friendly then. But yeah, this eliminates um a lot of the friendly games and makes com- it replaces them with competitive games that are actually going towards the euro. So I think actually that's a good thing because a lot of the friendlies that I've seen in the last few years which has that they were not great to watch. Um, you know, not not the kind of football you want to see. So I'm I'm kind of I, I'm kind of looking forward to this. I know the bus isn't quite there. We did some previews, um they're not getting quite the readership that um of course some of the other games that we've covered in the past get, but maybe they will all pick off tomorrow when people are trying to figure out what this competition actually is. <laughs> um what I thought was a bit of a surprise is Serbia, of course is all done by coefficient. They're in League C, and, and this is a team, of course, that we cover, cover quite a bit. And Andrew, I think for them, when when you look at their group—Romania, Montenegro, Lithuania—they have a real good shot at winning this and qualifying that way for the Euros, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it that is a that is an anomaly that I I have missed. I haven't picked up before you mention it, but that's that's absolutely mad. Um, Serbia really should be absolutely strolling through their group, um, and and then really. Who are they going to come up against? I mean, Norway, possibly. I mean, Hungary, they, Greece, they, Yeah. I mean, I mean, I honestly think they should be beating anybody in that group, in that league. So the whole league, all of the groups in that league. Um, now, you know, there's one of a little nuance. Although there's going to be loads of nuances <laughs> to this whole thing as it develops, but there's one I'm particularly interested in. Um and it's been thrown into sharp light by I'm sure you guys have seen the story, and everybody by the time they've heard this would have read it, that Denmark's um yeah. team, they are having disputes with their <laughs> their national union about um payments. So they're putting out a team of third-tier players and futsal players against Wales. So this is the reason I mention that is because well, obviously, if Wales if Wales can't beat a team of football players and third division team, uh, third division players, then they really don't deserve to be in there at all. But here's the thing: if you lose a game, these are small groups. Russia, for example, only have two other teams. If you lose one game, that's almost your last chance gone. You might just about get away with it. Now, if you if you stay in that level, then you have to play teams at that level the next time it comes around. What teams I think might start doing is if they lose the first game, they might intentionally try and get relegated to the league below okay. so that. For easier They yeah. have easy. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, which again, I think, it, I don't mind that. I think that's brilliant. I think it adds an extra layer of interest, of importance on any level to these games. So it's, oh, I just can't wait for it to get started.
2: Yeah. It, it, yeah. Imagine someone like France or Germany dropping down. It could religion, legitimately happen. And then they're just absolutely destroying the teams in the, in the group below and, and win that competition. And then they automatically have a spot. I mean, it's, it, it's maybe something that they haven't really quite looked at because it is an easy way long term to qualify. It's saying, like, okay, well, I guess we'll just drop down. We destroy whoever we're going to play in that, in that league. And then, uh, <laughs> get an automatic qualification spot. Maybe something for you even to consider because yes, you can get promoted and relegated. Um, the, the teams that finish last in each group will get relegated. And then the groups of four, um, it's the last two teams actually that get relegated. So yeah,
0: exciting times. Um, just, think... just to add one more thing, I went to the Denmark uh, lineup. No player has a Wikipedia article on them. Oh. <laughs>
1: Oh, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> well, apparently, <laughs> yeah. actually, just one other thing, just while I mention the fact, the futsal, national futsal team of Denmark is ranked below Comoros in the futsal world league. They're 51st in futsal, <laughs> and that is absolutely appalling. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: oh, interesting. Well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, will be, I think there will be a lot of attention um on the on this game the denmark game um really curious to tune in on that too and see how long that dispute that the strike is going to last uh, with the women's team it lasted quite some time and with the men's teams um so this is this is about commercial contracts whether they can have commercial contracts with partners that are not partners of the national team Um every other country in the world has figured this out denmark apparently hasn't so they're going to learn it the hard way. The reason why they're sending uh, a replacement team, just to maybe add to this as well, is because when the women's team went on strike, they um, they did not play one of the games, which means they are under probation by, U- by UEFA. And if they do not play against Wales, they will actually be eliminated from the Euros. So they have to send a team, any team, any players, uh, the local pub team. Anyone just here's a Denmark <laughs> shirt. Just go damn, on the pitch, said, play wipe, wipe. 90 minutes. Don't make a fool out of yourself. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, this is too bad. Eh? I mean, this is, could have been a good chance for the three of us guys. If we were Danish citizens, this would have been the chance to play an international, international match. Um, yeah, I guess that that's that chance is passed. Well, boys, we're out of time. Um, on that little, little nuance. Um uh, have to wrap it up. I think it's a great place to wrap it up. Tim, what have you been up to? I know there's been lots of social media pictures of you doing, uh, punk rock kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, what's going on in your life? Uh, the floor is yours.
0: Yeah. I'm still recovering from, uh, the Rock Information Festival. The, uh, our photographers posted quite a few pictures. So if you go on my page, there's a lot of um related stuff to that so um yeah you can do that on Instagram rocket from Russia and on my Twitter russian tim 61
2: fantastic stuff yeah and go go check that out andrew how about you what's going on in your life
1: well yeah like you mentioned I'll be doing the international previews for for the Russia games this international break coming turkey coming up first um and really, the next step is planning European adventures. Um, there's an absolute beauty of a triple header in early October, which I hope to report in three European games and three consecutive nights, including Real Madrid and the, Stop the House Derby. So I'll be getting on to the clubs for accreditation for that shortly.
2: Yeah, it's coming up real quick. There's lots of games. This international break is always odd because it's smacked into... Right at the beginning of the season, you can't just write back into club games and then you have this break and then all of a sudden it's not only just league games but also Champions League games, like boom, boom. So um I guess a nice little breather for all of us before it gets into the thick of things. But yeah, um Andrew mentioned it, we have previews. So if you try to figure out what the Nations League is, there is a full preview on fußballstadt.com on how it actually works. There is the previews for the teams that we cover. So we have the, the, the group preview for Germany. We have the group preview for Serbia, the group preview for Croatia, the group preview for Russia, and the group preview for Ukraine. Um, they're on Fußballstadt.com and Footballgrad.com. And then the individual games involving those, those, those teams. They're all on uh, Footballgrad.com and Fußballstadt.com. And if you want to find them on Twitter at Footballgrad Live and you can follow me at Manuel Weff also on twitter and if you have any questions regarding this podcast or all the other podcasts that we do always free free to show um let us know uh, we're always happy to answer questions well guys that's it until next week yet.